the day the tables were turned. Look at your neighbor and say, the day the tables were turned. Now say, Vinahafuch, who? Every year at the Feast of Purim, um, the Feast of Purim celebrates what happened in the book of Esther. And every year at the Feast of Purim, they yell out, Vinahafuch, who? Which means the day that Jehovah turned the tables on our enemy. The day that the opposite happened. The day that the enemy had marked something out, but God got involved and he turned it the other way. Oh, somebody ought to give God a shout of praise for that tonight. Reading out of Esther 9 from the message, Austin, bring it up, please. Uh, it'll confuse you to read it. It's in the New King James, but the message says it so well. And Haman the Agagite, the arch enemy of all Jews, had schemed to destroy all Jews. He had cast the purr, everyone say the lot, to throw them into a panic. You see the goal of your enemy, to throw you into a panic and to destroy them. But, everyone say but. When Queen Esther intervened with the king, the king gave written order that the scheme that Haman had worked out should boomerang back on his head. He and his sons were hanged on the gallows. In fact, I tell you in a moment, the same gallows he had built for one of the children of God. So on the 13th day of the 12th month, the king's order came into effect. This was the very day. Someone say the very day. That the enemies of the Jews had planned to overpower them. But the tables were now turned and the Jews overpowered those who hated them. Everyone say, Vinahafuch who? The tables are turned. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, the tables are turned. <laughs> this is an awesome, awesome night to belong to our Father. And in this story, I'm not going to retell this story, but I'll try to give you a base for those that don't know it. But I want to tell you principles that help the tables to be turned. Someone say there's principles if the table's going to be turned. In this awesome book, there was an awakening of a queen. And every one of you sitting here tonight, I believe that God is going to awaken the queen within each one of us. Esther did not become queen when the crown went on her head. She became queen when she intervened and did the will of God. Look at your neighbor and say, good evening, queen. When the tables are turned, it means that something negative was planned and that God turned the situation, something against your favor was turned to be in your favor. Something that had been planned against you. I recently got a, a notice from my banker regarding one piece of my property that I had looped in order a few years ago to help our church until bigger guns came in and relieved us of our payment on the land. And I had looped one of my properties for this church. We did it because we believed in the ministry. And uh, this banker let me know that he was gonna call the note due in 30 days. It put me into a panic. In fact, I got a call from uh, Perry Stone saying, Rhonda, I need you to do TBN in three days. Can you do it? And uh, I just got off the phone. And I told my husband, I said, I don't feel like doing it because I don't blame you. With this news, I don't feel like you doing it. And I laid down like I always do, turned on Fox News and expect to get a word from God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so I laid there and I fussed and I cussed, not cuss, cuss, but you know what I mean. And at God, in, in my mind about how I didn't want to do that and how I didn't feel victorious to do that. And I, wanted, I was so mad because I couldn't call my banker. And it just is a lot to go into. And uh, I was frustrated. I knew there was some miscommunication. And, uh, but finally, I, I told my husband, I don't think I'm going to do it. And he called me back in a minute. He goes, well, I called Perry. And I told him, you are going to do it. And I said, well, praise God, I'm going to do it. Went on there and got on that show. And God gave me a word kind of spontaneously. Perry doesn't like to pre-plan, which is a fearful thing. Um, and so... Uh, God just kind of gave me a word we got on there. But the amazing thing is it was a miscommunication. These papers, what had been planned, would have taken place today. They were coming after something that I owned that I had looped for this church. But the amazing thing was is my husband got a flu bug, and I and we'd already made an appointment to go talk to our banker because the paper said you can talk to your banker. I went in. I prayed. I took one of our spiritual sons with us. I prayed in the Holy Spirit. I prayed, you know, because God is practical. We make things way too spiritual. And I said, Lord, give me 
the same anointing when I preached, when I go talk to that banker. When I got in there, the anointing was so strong. My banker started crying. He said, Rhonda, I watched you on TBN. I said, you watched? He goes, yeah, I turned on by accident. And you were talking about no weapon formed against you. Would he said, Rhonda, I'm sorry for this miscommunication. I apologize if I have str tears streaming down this banker. I don't even know is a Christian. I'm going to tell you that the opposite happened in that moment. The tables were turned. And I believe there's some people in this house tonight that need some tables to be turned. When they celebrate the Feast of Purim in Israel, and I'm not going to get all Periona stone on you, but when they um, celebrate, don't tell them I said that, but when they celebrate, I'll tell them, okay? When they celebrate a Feast of Purim in Israel, whenever the little children every year dress up in costume. There's a girl dressed up like Esther. There's a guy dressed up like Haman. Then there's a guy, he was the evil one. Everybody go, boo. And then there was uh, Mordecai, the great one. Everybody go, woo. And then there was the king. And that's exactly what they do. They reenact it. And every time Haman comes across the uh, stage, everyone boos real loud. And they do noisemakers. Why? Because they believe that their Jehovah God drowned out all the noise of the enemy and always will. Somebody praise him in this house tonight. The Feast of Purim celebrates what God did. And because God, there was a lot cast against the people of God. I'm going to tell you something in this story. Haman was the evil one and he cast a lot because he was mad at one of the Jews to destroy all the Jews. That means he simply rolled a dice and decided that on a certain day, he would annihilate all the Jews. But there was a God who had a woman named Esther. And let me say, say to you tonight, you are the Esther that your world is waiting for. You, yes, you. Look at your neighbor and say you, yes, you. You, you with all your shortcomings. You with your weaknesses. You with your 10 pounds you wish you could lose. You with your, oh, I'm feeling a preaching here tonight. You with your insecurities, you with your limitations, you with your past, you with feeling like you're too old, you with feeling like you're too young, you who feel like you've got too bad of a temper, you, you are the Esther and you say, why you? Because you are the one who's experienced the divine favor and blessings of the Lord that has gotten you this far. You say, well, I don't feel very favored. You know what? What? You survive. By this, I know the Lord favors me. He did not let my enemies triumph over me. You survived, you're alive, and you're here. And like that little Gianna that's on Facebook and YouTube everywhere, you know, the girl that survived the saline abortion, she spoke before hundreds of dignitaries over in Russia or Australia, and I saw her with her limp saying to them in a political house, I didn't survive to make anybody comfortable. I survived what I went through to stir things up. Come on, somebody. You haven't survived everything you've gone through for no reason. You survived that you, someone look at your neighbor and say, you, you would be the Esther. Your world is waiting because the tables turn in this story. But Esther had a part and you have a part. You that have been loved and cared for. God is not always going to use an angel. And in this story, he didn't use a plague. He didn't use an angel. He used a woman in that great statement that everyone thinks of that we named this conference. I've never spoken on Esther at this conference. So, but it came to me several months ago so strongly. You have come. Look at your neighbor and say, you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Isaiah 54 and 17 does say that no weapon, say no weapon formed against me shall prosper. There's a weapon formed in this story. We're not going to read, but the weapon was that Haman got a decree against the Jews and Haman built a gallows to hang Mordecai, the great leader of this story of the Jews. There was a weapon this morning. I'm going to tell you something about weapons. 
and something that came to me while I was on TBN um, specifically was that, you know, I know the weapons formed against me in 1984 against my marriage or 81 against my daughter when she was born with a congenital heart defect. The weapons formed against me through the years. I know none of them prospered, but for a moment they look like it. But prosper means to have the final and ultimate destination. You see, when the enemy plans against your family or you, there is always a projection of where he wants to go. I'm going to tell you one of my favorite ways to pray. When I get bad news, when I know someone that's going through something, I just immediately begin to pray, Lord, break the projection that the enemy has set this course on because he wants to go all the way to the bull's eye of the target. But God, I'm asking you to turn the battle at the gate and turn this thing around and turn the tables so the enemy doesn't even get a one-fourth mile to the destination. Someone say glory in this house. And the weapons are foreign. And back in the Roman soldiers' day, there was, and listen to me, there was weapons. Some were short. We've studied this a lot in our spiritual armor, in our school of ministry. There was short daggers so that you could get someone up close. There was daggers that you could dig in and pull out the intels like Jack Bauer did last year on 24. But that's another thing. But you just dig in and you pull things out. There was arrows so you could get an enemy from a distance you see, your adversary will form new weapons in every season of your life. They will not prosper, but some of them are sharpened to get you up close. That's why someone you love has betrayed you. It wasn't them. It was the weapon the enemy formed against you. That's why some of the things, that's why things come from a distance sometimes because the enemy wants to get you. But the good news in this story and the good news in your life, no weapon that is formed shall prosper against you. Somebody give God a shout of praise. But there was a decree that was written and it was sealed with the signet ring of the king, Haman, the old evil one, boo, boo. Haman, the evil one in this story. He lied to the king about the Jews. He got a decree written and sealed with the king's signet ring that all the Jews would be destroyed. The lot was cast and the day was on the calendar. It doesn't matter what the enemy decrees against you. It doesn't matter what he marks on his calendar to do against you and your family, your community, your church, your ministry. Our God is not scared of any earthly king and he is not scared of any decree. He is not moved back. I don't know what decree may be against you. Maybe the decree that's against your mind is that your best days are behind you. Maybe the decree against you is that you will never get past your past. Maybe the decree against you is that you will never succeed, that you will, you're full of fear or that you might lose your job or that you might lose everything that you have or your husband would walk out on you or your children would get on drugs. I don't know what decree was written, but this decree was turned around and the gallows, everyone say the gallows, the gallows were built, the gallows were built at night to hang Mordecai, the leader of the Jews on and I don't know what gallows loom over you things that wake you up in the night things that loom in the distance over you fears and concerns maybe uncertainty over the future maybe a disaster coming to your child maybe the fear of disease or emotional stress looms to where you wake up I know I'm not the only human in this house where you wake up in the middle of the night and you look you see when the sun rose they could see the gallows had been built in the night you see sometimes when we wake up all we can remember remember is the things that came against us and tried to suck the very life out of our spirit, our motivation, our desire to go forth in the destiny that God has given us. But let me tell you, even though those gallows had been built, there was a king named Exorcist that God calls to not be able to sleep all night until he got out a book and read about all the great people that had served him and the one man's name who came up was the one man's name Mordecai that the gallows had been written for I'm telling you tonight that God can cause your banker to not sleep to move in your behalf God can cause a president of a company 
company to not sleep until you get your promotion. God can cause that social worker to not be able to sleep until you get your kids back. I'm going to tell you that our God can handle anybody, anywhere, anytime. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise in this house tonight. The amazing thing is that, Tammy, that God is silent all through the book of Esther. His name is not mentioned, and theologians and commentators love to discuss and debrief. And I even found someone blogging against Mordecai. I really, seriously, take your blog home, really. <laughs> blog about Jesus. Blog about the poor. Anyway, don't blog about other people. But anyway, there was, there's so many people that have discussed this, why God hasn't been mentioned in the book. I believe it is for those times in our life when God seems to be silent, when we cannot see him anywhere. What did you think about your kids? When you, when mama could hear Brian and Renee and I always making noise, she knew no one had gotten their heads cut off. She knew no one had redecorated the walls. But the minute Rhonda and Renee and Brian got silent, it was time to call 911. Come on. That meant there was some holy shenanigans Nenigans going on in the house. Things get quiet. I believe the Esther book speaks to us this. Shh, do it with me. Shh. There's a victory in progress. Shh. There's a victory in progress. You see, when the Israelites marched around Jericho those six days, the order was given to them, do not speak a word. Don't say anything as you march. Don't say anything to the person on your left or the person on your right. I believe because God wanted to seal it through the book of Esther and seal it through the walk around the walls of Jericho, the shh, God is working out all things for my good. Shh, there is a victory in progress. The next time you can't see God, feel God, you don't know. Oh, we always shout when the wall comes down. We always get excited when we see the manifestation of what he has done. I believe the Lord is challenging us to walk into a greater place of faith that we begin to say when things look so dark and gloomy and hard to understand, shh. Don't say a word. There's a victory in progress. If you're not seeing God move in behalf of your husband, if you're not seeing God move in the behalf of your children, if you're not seeing God move in the behalf of your finances, you need to put a big wall, a thing on your mirror, a big sign that says, Shh, there is a victory in progress. There is a work of God. Come on, somebody. God is up to something. Because I'm going to tell you, the scripture says in Psalms 31 and 12 or 2, the king's heart. Everyone say, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it, say he turns it, however he wants. That means that no king has ever intimidated God. That means that no situation has ever intimidated God. That means God can handle anyone. God can handle your husband. Hallelujah. God can handle your kids. God can handle your pastor. God can handle your boss. God can handle your banker. God can handle your president. God can handle the person that's given you grief in your life. And God can handle the person that made you promises and then broke every one of them. Why? Because in the hand of the Lord, if the highest dignity of the land at that time was the king, it meant that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it like water. Well, my scripture says in the book of Job, that God weighed the waters in the hollow of his hand and then he put out the Pacific and told it to stay right there. It says he drew limitations and boundaries around every tributary, around every river, around every ocean and he told it not to move. If God can do all of that, then whoever is in my life that is in between me and what God wants to give me, God can turn it in his hand. God can get me where I need to go. God God can open up the doors. God can give me the platform. God can give me the blessing. God can give me the favor. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. Say, shh, there's a victory in progress. There's things God is planning for some of you right now, for all of us. We can't even imagine. 
things and doors, to use our talents and our gifts and our abilities. And sometimes it's quietest. Right before that victory happens, Isaiah 49 and 23 could best be said about this group of people living in Esther's days, the Jews, because it looks horrible. The gallows have been built. The, the thing has been sealed. The decree, it's sealed. It's a done deal. You can't undo this in the natural. And all of this is going on when you look into this story, like we look into many situations in our life, we think, oh my goodness, this is, these people must feel so ashamed. Let me tell you, Isaiah 49, 23 says, for they will not, say they will not, be ashamed who wait for me. Say they will not be ashamed who wait for me. I've studied out that verse and by some very wonderful fathers in the faith. And I've learned this, listen to this, because often when you're going through something, you feel shame. You know why you feel shame? Shame is the temporary appraisal of others about your situation. It's why people are appraising about what you're going through. They're looking into this story and they're seeing shame on Esther. People can look into your lives in different seasons and their appraisal of you. We are not to judge the dealings of God in other people. In fact, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm going to go to the cross and Peter, I'm going to do this and my finest hour has not come. Peter pulled him aside and said, no, Jesus, you can't do that. No, 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 Jesus, you're going to be messing everything up. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Satan, I rebuke you. Get behind me because you are not mindful of the things of God. You are just mindful of the things of man. As long as you and I bow to the opinions of others about our life, the way we're using our gift or what God is doing through us and for us, you see, we all of a sudden bow to them and we are bowing down to the mindfulness of others. But when you bow down to the mindfulness about God, you know this, a shame when it says they will not be ashamed it has to do with the final verdict you see those who trust in the Lord who wait for him will not be say they will not be say I will not be ashamed that means because ashamed is linked to final verdict and God can easily say that you will never be ashamed if you put your trust in him because he's always got the final verdict. Come on, somebody, because he's always got the final verdict. You look in here and you see Esther. The gallows are built and the scroll, the decree has been written and you see all this going on in her life. And you see this wonderful figure named Mordecai. Dr. Pickett taught me 18 years ago. She's now in heaven, but she taught me that Mordecai is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now listen to this. It says that every day Mordecai had raised Esther. Again, I don't want to tell the story, but for you that maybe are not as knowledgeable as the rest of us, Mordecai had raised Esther and she, had, she was an orphan and he had taken her when they called for the queen. They took Esther and then she was chosen as queen. But it says that every day, everyone say every day, Mordecai paced at the king's gate. What was he pacing about? It said he was pacing, asking about how Esther's doing. Every day he came to the gate and he said, how is Esther? Because she was the queen. You see, that revelation came to me so wonderful by Dr. Pickett 20 years ago and changed my life because I realized that Mordecai is representative of the Holy Spirit in our life. That every day of our life, every assignment, whether we're at home scrubbing the commodes or cooking dinner or meeting with our banker or raising our kids, are going before our boss that every day the precious Holy Spirit is right there with us checking on us saying I'm come to check on Rhonda how is Rhonda doing in her assignment you say pastor Rhonda I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is there let me tell you Psalms 139 says even if you make your bed in hell the Spirit says he's coming right behind you it said if you rise up into the heavens or you say I'm going to run away from home what woman hasn't said she was going to run away from home. Maybe your family will do like my daddy did when I was eight. I said, well, run away home. He said, let's pack your clothes. He drove me down the street. We got to the corner and he opened the door. He said, I hope you find somebody that wants to feed you. I hope someone will take care of you. It's going to be cold out there. And well, I got one foot out, start suitcase. And then always the, my daddy knew the conviction would hit me. And I began to weep. And I said, daddy, I don't want to leave you. Please take me back home. But take me back home. But my daddy wasn't going to follow me that day. I have a feeling he was going to, because I think I was only about four or five if I remember correctly. I was a, a, I was a handful. But at any rate, 
the Holy Spirit comes every day. Psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, he is there. The Psalm 139 says, even if I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. The Psalmist said, if I say I'm going to run away and rise with the wings of the morning and try to get out of here, it says the Holy Spirit will be right behind you. Let me tell you something. If you're in a loveless marriage right now, the Holy Spirit is at the door of your heart every day checking on you. If you're in a situation at work and you feel your overwhelmed, if you're facing a bondage of some type of drugs or you're facing a bondage in your life, the Holy Spirit every day is at the gate checking on you. He's pacing. His love is fervent and zealous for you. Zealous means he boils over, gets red faced, and he's capable of the most notable deeds in your behalf. Let me tell you, you may have moved locations. You may have changed churches. You may have changed jobs. You may have left cities, but the Holy Spirit is exactly with you as much as he was ever with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's at the door of your heart saying, where are you? And he was coming every day to check on her, Kennedy. But one day he came to the king's gate he heard about the decree and the Bible says that Mordecai, her uncle, dressed up in sackcloth and ashes and, and, and he sat at the king's gate and he began to wail. In fact, the Bible says that he began to scream. Now watch this. This is powerful. And wail out at the, at the king's gate. Esther heard and she sent one of her people because she heard he's in dirt and he's in sackcloth. And she sent one of her servants and she said, please take Mordecai these clothes. She got her best clothes. And the servant went out to Mordecai and said, Esther said, take your sackcloth off. Put on these nice clothes. This will fix the problem. Let me dress you up. But Mordecai would not be convinced. He said, no, you tell Esther. You tell Esther she's come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I'm not putting on new clothes. I'm not changing and dressing this situation up. Let me tell you right now, how many times does the Holy Spirit come to us in grief and say, I'm calling you to change this, or I'm calling calling you to reorder this. I'm calling you to lay down your life and your marriage. I'm calling you to change what's on in the inside of you and let me change some things. We say, no, Holy Spirit, here, let's just turn up the noise. Let's just turn up life. Let's just turn up hobbies. Let's just get involved in a project. Oh, am I the only one that's done that in this room? Let's just go shopping, Holy Spirit. That'll cure it. Retail at Target. It all makes it easier. Come on, Holy Spirit. Let's go a movie. Come on, dress yourself up, Holy Spirit. It's not that serious, but I'm going to tell you, Holy Spirit, like Mordecai, knows the destiny in every Esther, every woman in this room, and he is never going to be talked out of the things he's trying to change in you, the inconsistencies, the uncertainty, the bondages, the weakness, the rattle that's inside of your head, that Holy Spirit says that situation in your marriage, he's not going to let you you keep dressing it up. No, he's going to come on the scene and saying, no, Esther, have you not realized that you survived all you survived in your life, that you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? Somebody give God praise in the house. You see, it takes knowing what you've been made of to know what God can do through you. It's amazing how the enemy uses the scheme of trying to convince you that your trials are stumbling blocks instead of stepping stones. That they're things that you stumble over to get through life. No, if Esther had never been an orphan, she would have never made it to the queen. Because things she learned, listen to me, things that you've learned in your loneliness are the things that will be used to promote you. But we want to dress up the loneliness and get a fix when God is calling you sometimes to solitude. The things that you learn in the trials, sometimes now ministering the nation or different places, people say, how did you become so courageous? Where did you get your divinity degree? Ain't got one. Where did you do this? I said, well, I went to Lee University, still lack about 20 credits or so, working on it, Kinder, to get my degree, but I really didn't learn any of this there. I purchased this courage in the worst days of my life. In the fires, in the times when I felt left out or passed over. Come on. The times when I felt betrayed or destroyed. 
The times that I felt like I couldn't lift my head up and go on. You see, my successes have blessed me, but that's not what gave me what I have. What has been given, oh, come on, somebody, to me came through the fire. You see, Melinda, when you survived that truck accident and you're a walking dead person now, that's awesome. But what you're purchasing now, you could have never gotten before that. That's not your stumbling block. That's your stepping stone. You see those things, that perseverance, that ability to go before dignitaries, that ability to go before your boss, that strength to encourage to raise godly children, that strength to be the wife, those things you cannot purchase at a college. And I'm all about higher education. Those things you can't purchase. The things that you purchase, you purchase during the darkest, most sorrowful, most misunderstood of your life. And if you feel like you're not getting the result of that. You need to get a moment alone with God and say, cleanse me from any bitterness. Cleanse me from any hatred. Cleanse me from any anger. I want to see a payback for what I went through. I want to see that my pain wasn't wasted. Come on, somebody. I want to see that what I went through isn't wasted. Sitting on this front row is my dearest, I call her my Sunday best friend, Pastor Melissa Kite, the gorgeous woman in the turquoise with the short, dark hair. Pastor Melissa Kite lost her husband. You've heard her testimony. Lost her husband a few years ago to cancer. They were pastors. My dearest friends walked with me through my inner healing. Pastor Melissa Kite believed in faith all the way to the moment. I didn't plan to say this, but I want to pass by it quickly, that her husband would be healed as we all should. When the Lord healed him by taking him to heaven, she devoured on his deathbed that though she didn't understand, she would trust the Lord and follow him all the days of her life. I'm going to tell you, I've watched her for two years walk this out. Now, let me tell you what she's been doing the last year. She's preaching and traveling the nation preaching the word of God that if God can get me through this and I can still hold my head up God can get you through it you see her pain it's not going to be wasted there's secular doors that have opened up that are mind-boggling for her there's blessings that have come into her life that are mind-boggling to both of us but the deal is all of it came as an opportunity after the trial I'm gonna tell you it's been said it's a cliche I don't really like them but your biggest setback can really be your best comeback come on come on come on come on look at your neighbor and and say, Esther, wake up. But all of those things had enlarged her heart. All of those things had opened up. Kelly, if you'll just come help me by yourself. I'm, I'm not quite done, but I'm, I've got about 15 more minutes, but this will get me to get where I need to go. If you just come play softly. You see, sometimes the lack in your life, sometimes the things that you don't have, sometimes the doors that don't open for you are for a reason. Because God has bigger and better eternal doors. Because God is working something you can't imagine. And Isaiah 54 says, enlarge the place of your tent and stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. It says, let them stretch you. Everyone say stretch. Esther was being called to do something uncomfortable. You see, there's things that are not really comfortable. Flying on small planes with other preachers. And preaching on international television, I would rather like hang naked in an open square. Um, and trust me, that's at the bottom of my list, okay? I love cooking. For, East, for Father's Day, I cooked for 26 people from our church. And we just had the best time. I cooked it all, cleaned it all. I am so comfortable doing that. It's just like, ooh, I was made for this. I should have run a restaurant or something. Love it. But being stretched is not always so comfortable. But you've got a destiny. There's some tables that need to be turned where one thing has been planned. The enemy has set a course, but the opposite needs to happen. But it only happens when you and I get to that place that we say, I know I was called to be joyful in you, Lord. I know I was called to have the peace of God, but I know there's some days I wasn't called to be comfortable. I was called to make a difference. There's an amazing thing that happens, Kelly, after Mordecai says, Esther, is it occurred to you that you survived the orphan? 
You survived being an orphan. You survived and you got here. You survived your trials. You survived that every one of those were stumbling blocks. That that loss of a child was to open compassion. God worked through that. He didn't bring it, but He worked through it to open your compassion. That loss, that walking away, that thing that happened, that, that pressure, that pressure, Esther. He says, you you say the pressure's been so intense, but the Holy Spirit said, I'll use the pressure to harden you to difficulty. I'll use the pressure to give you a tenacity inside yourself. You never dreamed you could have. Esther, has it not occurred to you that you were an orphan in order to be a queen? Esther, and he sends back that statement for such a time as this. The amazing thing happens because there's this little space. Everyone say space. And then there's this word then. Say then. Look at your neighbor and say, I love the word then. Then. What's so awesome is because after she tried to dress him up, there's a space. And then there's the word then. It's so minuscule. We want to overlook it. But don't overlook it. Because the Esther before the then and the Esther after then are two different women. Something powerful happened in Esther. Something powerful happened in that space. I'm praying something powerful will happen in the space of your life tonight in areas. Something turned and the Esther before then and the Esther after then is two different women. I'm praying that someone in your life in the next month will say, you're not the same person you were three months ago. You're not the same person. Something's changed in you. You're more full of grace. You're wiser. You're more courageous. You're more loving. You're more giving. You're more steadfast in your faith and courageous. Something has changed. You see, something turned in Esther's heart. And when it turned in Esther's heart, history turned with it. I believe tonight when things turn in your heart and things turn in my heart, that there's a history in each of our lives and every Esther in this room tonight, that history is going to be changed and some plans of the enemy, the opposite is going to happen. Someone give God a shout of praise tonight. But listen. Esther's defining moment didn't come. I love the, the movie, Esther. I, I give that to all my friends. I want to get saved. And uh, I love that beautiful portrayal that uh, TBN did where she's running in. And she's this beautiful actress. And, uh, uh, and, and she's running up the steps to the king. And she went unsummoned to the king. And that was a death order, we know, until he raised his scepter. But that's not the defining moment. Watch this. Kelly really ended it tonight. That's why we kind of ended it there because he just said it so powerfully her defining moment was when she said I will I surrender I will I will do as you have said Holy Spirit and I will take this walk of faith and I will go before the king. You see, the great crowd that was in that king's courtroom was not the crowd. It was just Esther and the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the breath of God Almighty gave each one of us life. And the moment when it's just you and Holy Spirit is the biggest audience you'll ever have. That's when the victory is won. The anything that the Lord has given any of us that's gone out over the nation, it just happened with the Holy Spirit in us. Your moment. Your defining moment is when you say, I will forgive. I will try again. I will love again. The victory happens in the moment, even in the face of the uncomfortable, even in the face of your excuses. You see, so many times we feel like Esther and all the people in the Bible, Hebrews 10 and 35 says, we are not of those who shrink back. We, we are not of the tribe. We didn't come from a group of DNA of people who are without courage. We came with, from people like Abraham and Deborah and Isaac and all the people that were full of courage in the Word. But sometimes we think those people and the pastors in our life and Esther, that they did everything with big faith. No, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, everyone say mustard seed. 
The reason he said that in that day, mustard seed seed was like a, um, a slogan, like Nike, just do it. When you say just do it, everybody knows what you're talking about because they know what Nike is. Back then they'd say, oh, it's a mustard seed thing. It's just an insignificant little thing. So when Jesus said, if you have faith as a size of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain. What Jesus was saying, what anyone does is with little faith. Someone say little faith. You see, fear never healed a marriage. Little faith healed a marriage. Fear never restored a drug addict. Well, this little up and give faith. you the illustration. It'll end this. But she's in the battle of her life. So here she is. She says, I will. She made that decision. A powerful scripture. I'm sorry. I forgot that's where I was going. Let me tell you, because we got to close this out. Um, powerful, powerful scripture is in Psalms 27 and 11. Hope in the Lord, be stout-hearted and decided. Everyone say decided in your convictions. And then, everyone say then, God will instill courage into your heart. I see three steps right there to that walk of courage in your life in every area. Number one is faith. Just obey that God said you should love. Just obey that God said you should forgive. Just obey that God is wanting you to do something. Then secondly, put all your hope in the Lord. The faith says, I have the conviction. Say courage follows conviction. Conviction doesn't follow courage. Courage follows conviction. Conviction means you decide within yourself, I'm letting go of this relationship as a single girl that I know is not white for me. The conviction is I've got to let go. The second thing is I'm putting my hope in God. And the third thing is God, give me the courage to walk this out. In every area of your life. And here she is in the battle of her life. And what does she do? She doesn't call the hitman. She doesn't call the henchman. She doesn't build a fortress around the palace. She throws a dinner party. She brought the enemy into her field. She used what was practical. I'm going to tell you, I used to know an older woman when she cleaned house, she would be moaning. And they'd say, what you moaning about? She said, I'm moaning because when I moan, the devil don't know what I'm moaning about. So when I moan to Jesus, the devil don't know what I'm moaning. I'm telling you to turn the tables. We've got to get practical. We've got to remember that when we're cleaning, house, when we're washing the clothes of people that need God, when we're serving them meals, wherever your life takes you, fill in your own blanks. The practical is I'm moving this battle into my own field. Abigail baked cookies and baked cakes to get King David not to kill her people. Jael stuck a tip peg in the head of Sisera. The widow baked a cake for the prophet. I'm going to tell you we dismiss the practical things but God is calling us into a practical anointing that is way more spiritual than we could ever believe. Somebody give God a shout. She brought the battle. She brought the battle into her own court. She sat at the table. She invited Haman. Everyone say, boo. And Xerxes the king and herself. And she sat at the king's table. She sat at the king's table while her enemy was running amok in the streets. She sat across from her arch enemy who had had the decree signed and the gallows to end the lives of her and all of her people. But she did not engage her enemy. She entertained her king. Sometimes we get too, come on, we get too obsessed with engaging our enemy when we should be entertaining our king. Come on. She sat at the table of her arch enemy without any fear for Psalm 69 and 19 says, God, my adversaries are ever before you. You see, she didn't worry sitting at the table with her enemy because she knew ultimately everything was in the hand of the king. I'm going to tell you, I can go into the world where the enemy runs rampant. I can go into the business place. I can go into the schoolroom. I can go into the city. I can go into the ghetto. I can go into these areas. I can go where the enemy runs rampant and I don't engage him, but I entertain my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. Somebody praise him in this house. 
and she gets the whole thing reversed. She invites them twice. I think she just wants some more space. I think she wants to throw another dinner party. I think she just wants to make things festive. She finally tells her king, this man is going to kill all of us. He's written the decree. It's, it's been sealed. There's nothing can be done and something has to change. That's why on the Feast of Purim, they celebrate and they create an atmosphere of deliverance because they remember the day when it was sealed and the table was set for their destruction, when the goal had been marked out. But on that day, God who couldn't even be seen was working behind the scenes, reversing everything to give Him glory. Somebody praise Him before I finish tonight. Come on, somebody praise Him. And in the night, in the 11th hour, God moved and turned the whole story around because one woman did what she's supposed to do. So on Feast of Purim, they celebrate. In fact, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is referred to in Israel as Yom Kippurim because it's the ultimate day when the tables were turned. The Day of Atonement, when Jesus turned the table on you and I and our sins were forgiven and there was hope. Let me tell you something. That scroll was overturned by the king and Vinahafushu, the day when the tables were turned. There's been some tables set on your life. There's been some things marked, but God comes on the scene and the opposite. So when they yell, Vinahafushu, they're yelling, the tables were turned. The opposite happened. Those who were going to overpower us, those spirits of depression and oppression, those fears, those financial difficulties, those broken hearts, those regrets, those things we couldn't let go of. On that day, Vinahafushu, the Lord prevailed and He turned the tables. He made the opposite happen. I want to tell you about one more scroll before we come to these altars because it had been sealed with the King's ring. But in Revelation 4, I want to tell you about your king, the one who gives you faith tonight to believe for anything you need to believe for. The one who loves you, Esther, loves you, loves you so much, loves you so much. John, after being boiled in oil, was put on the Isle of Patmos and he heard a voice behind him and he turned and he saw the Lord full of his glory. And an angel said, John, come up here. We must show you things that are soon to take pass. What he was saying is, John, we want to show you the end of the story. I mean, that's like the finale of, the, of 24, the finale to loss, which forget that one. But anyway, the finale to whatever you're waiting to hear. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen with my life. Everybody wants to know, where will I be in five years? Everybody wants to know, a parent wants to know, what's going to become of my kids? Everyone wants to know a year from now, will I be healthy? A year from now, will I have financial resources? A year from now, will I be in the will of God? Will I be here? Will I be there? A year from now, what will be happening in my marriage? A year from now, the single girls want to know, will I be married? A year from now, everybody wants to know the end of the story. And that's what the angel said, John, come on up. We're going to tell you what's going to happen. And John goes up and he sees a throne and he who sat on the throne, a rainbow encircled him and Sardis was around him and crystal and every jewel and coming out of the bottom of the throne was lightning and thunder. John's watching all of this and the credibility factor is rising as all the cherubims are singing, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the elders are worshiping and the thousands of saints, Kennedy, are praying. Praising God and John is watching all of this week as he sees the glory of God and he sees that the one sitting on the throne the great I am we see that he's holding a scroll in his hand and the angel cries out who is worthy to open the scroll and to read what's gonna happen who is worthy to unseal this and to see what's going to happen and the angel, the scripture records that there was no one found worthy. No one in the heavens. No one believed that beneath the earth. No one on the earth. And the angel said, no one is found worthy. No one can tell us what the future holds. No one can tell me what things are going to be like for me in 10 years and how, how this is going to turn out. How, how the tables are going to turn. How is God going to do it? 
Am I going to be all right? No one's worthy. And it says, John says, I just began to weep and I began to cry. And I was crying so hard, I dropped on my face. And then all of a sudden, an angel came by and tapped me on the shoulder and said, John, John, don't cry. Don't be sorrowful. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about how God's going to bring the victory. Don't worry about how the tables are going to be turned. Don't be fearful. John, look up. Look behind you. And John said he saw a lamb standing to the right hand of the one on the throne. And the lamb stood looking as if he had been slain. And the angel said, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he and just begin to worship the Lamb of Glory. Create an atmosphere in here. Create an atmosphere in here. Vinahathushu, the day the tables were turned, the day the opposite of what was put on my life happened. Come on, young people, lift your hands and worship the Lamb of Glory. Come on, worship Him all over this house. Worship Him all over this house. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. To him who was and is and evermore will be. He holds the end in your life, Esther. Esther, he holds the end in your life. He does. And he loves you. Esther, the Lord is asking every Esther in this room for that I will, just that simple I will. I will. I will. I will follow your will for my life. I will. We love you, Lord Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this house. We welcome your gifts and your ways. We welcome your encouragement. We welcome your strength. You have presented a word that I believe is timely. We came to entertain our king and not engage our enemy. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you right now to speak to some hearts that are hanging in the balance. In fact, as every eye is closed, if you're here and you're away from the Lord, it's a crazy thing to say on a Friday night of a spiritual conference, but you need to come back to Him. You've kind of detoured off the path. As every eye is closed, if that's you, would you just lift your hand where you are? I'm not going to call you up front right now. Okay? Okay? Okay. God knows. God knows. I want everyone in this room to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I've strayed. I confess I'm away from you, but today, I want my destiny to begin. Today, I want my future to begin. Today, I confess you, Jesus, and things are right now in Jesus' name. Would somebody give God a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord, for those hearts.